Welcome to Diet Culture Dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate, and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters. My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration, mindful moments, and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation. Please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider, therapist, or registered dietitian. I am so happy you're here. I want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey, that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Welcome back to Diet Culture Dropout. I hope everyone's doing well, and I'm really excited to dive into today's topic. Today we have a close-to-home guest, I guess for me, Jennifer Neal. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So today we're going to be talking about why practicing intuitive eating as a mom or a parent for both of us, it's as a mom, how it's maybe difficult or challenging to navigate this. We haven't explored on the podcast yet, so I'm excited to kind of dive into that. But before we get into that, Jennifer, can you tell listeners a little bit more about who you are, where you're located and how you got into the work that you do on the regular? Yeah. So I'm Jennifer Neal, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. I am a mom of two tiny humans. So I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And I'm from Ottawa, Ontario. And I came to this work, I think like a lot of dietitians, unfortunately, after really like kind of having my own disordered relationship with food back when I was in my undergrad which has, my undergrad has nothing to do with dietetics. (laughs) And then I kind of started my master's in dietetics at McGill, almost like to maybe justify and kind of perpetuate some of my disordered beliefs around food. At that point, I was like more recovered. But I, I do think that there are a lot of kind of future dietitians that are in that place. Mm -hmm. Um, and once I started working, like I graduated in 2012 and immediately jumped into private practice. 
I probably had no business doing that, but that's fine. <laughs> um, and I did a lot of weight loss counseling at the beginning because that's what we're taught in school, right? And I think over time, what I was seeing that even kind of quote unquote, you know, sustainable weight loss methods were not, they were temporary. And my clients were kind of getting very anxious around food and things like that. And kind of have these like aha moments as a practitioner where you're like, ooh, like, is this what we should be focusing on? Yeah. And, you know, I had clients who were eating again, kind of like all the right things, right? With air quotes, where um, it was going to be unethical for me to tell them to eat any different. They were already really preoccupied with food. And you're kind of like, I don't know where to, what to do here. Like this feels really uncomfortable to me. And I ended up leaving private practice when I was pregnant with my daughter because I had a full-time job elsewhere, which I think is also kind of common for dietitians to be working in multiple different places. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like very glad to wash my hands of it, really. And then when I was on maternity leave and my daughter was born and I was like, okay, how do I do this? How do I teach this little girl that her body is good no matter what? Mm -hmm. If my job is temporarily changing the bodies of others and how do I kind of like my, what I learned as a dietitian is here. And then my, my values as a parent and really as a healthcare practitioner is very vastly different. And Mm -hmm. so like, how do I kind of, how do I meet these things together? And that's when like, so yeah, I was working full time. The company I was working for ended up folding, which I think was kind of a blessing in disguise. And I was kind of like loose in the world I'm like, what do I do now? Like, do I leave the profession? Like, how do I navigate this? And really that's when I found intuitive eating and weight inclusive practice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense for me as a mom, as a healthcare practitioner, where we're actually promoting health behaviors, not anxiety over food. Okay. I think I can do this. Right. And like, you know, Now I work with moms who are kind of having that same kind of light bulb moment of like, okay, so I've been spending my entire life, like hating my body and dieting in order to try to kind of like fix it. And now I have this child who I need to teach Mm -hmm. how to love their body. How do I break this? What's often kind of a generational cycle of dieting for my own kids you know, I don't want to pass that struggle on to my kids. How do I become a role model? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where, you know, like my path as a dietitian has, I feel like been very like meandering, but that's kind of where we're at now is like, I work a lot with moms focusing on like, okay, how do we ditch dieting so that we can be that role model for our kids? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> it's amazing how the little tiny humans make major shifts in our not only yes. our body, which we're going to be getting into, but like <laughs> perspective work, literally every facet of our life. Right. Yeah. Aww. I think like, I would have never considered myself to be like a political person before. And now yeah. I'm like way more interested in like issues that impact. And yes. like, yep. I work on a, a task force where we're trying to get 
we're working on a, a letter for MPPs to have size diversity as part of the human rights code, like something yes. I never would have amazing considered yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah, they it's a colossal shift when you become a parent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, amazing. Thank you for sharing. And then can you also share with listeners any identities or privileges that you hold? Yeah, so many. <laughs> I am white. I am able-bodied, a cisgendered female. You know, I live in a straight-sized body. I am well-educated, you know, fairly middle-class. So yeah, many privileges. <laughs> yeah. yeah, perfect. Just liking to share kind of the lens that this perspective and conversation is coming from. Great. And because of the theme of the podcast is dropping out of diet culture, can you share like an aha moment of you experiencing diet culture coming up for you personally, a dietitian working, you know, in this space of trying to revolt against it, but how has it came up for you recently? Yeah. Uh, so like so often it comes up so often. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's wild how like normal it is. And once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it, right? Yeah. But since we're talking about parenting today, like I'll talk to you a little bit about, so our experience with Easter. Mm-hmm. So we, I'm guessing similar to you, have a fairly liberalized diet when it comes to chocolate in our house. And so the kids were eating a fair bit of Easter candy um, after the holiday and so like you know we did our easter egg hunt on the sunday and they we pretty much gave it to them like every single meal and snack we're like yeah go go wild mm-hmm. um monday we did something pretty similar and then after that we kind of were like okay we're gonna have like some chocolate with dinner and every single night one of my kids my older my daughter she would basically exclusively eat chocolate for dinner. Mm-hmm. And I found like, you know, I have my kind of clinician hat and I'm like, this is fine. We're playing the long game. We're trying to kind of have a good relationship with food. And like, it's up to her to kind of self-regulate. We put it on the menu. And so like, this is fine. Mm-hmm. And then my parenting hat was like panic mode. Like, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, she's eating so much chocolate. And like, we, we assign so much value, I think, as parents, like our value as parents, we base it off of like, how good of an eater is my kid? How good of a mm-hmm. sleeper is my kid? All that oh, stuff. Gosh. Yeah. And I'm just like, ooh, like this, like, this is like really kind of triggering for me that she's not having that like habituation. She's not that there's no tapering down. If we put it even alongside her favorite food, she's not eating anything except for the chocolate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I diet culture thoughts of no, like this is too much chocolate. I see you. I recognize you. And I need to just like throw you away because you're not valuable to me right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's so interesting because like once you are kind of on that other side, like part of you is like, oh, I need to like start limiting this. And you're like, no, no, step back. Don't let them know that you're kind of internally panicking about how much chocolate they're eating. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I think you just get better at kind of recognizing those and being like, this is a me problem. 
Mm-hmm. I'm panicking because I'm attaching value to that. But she needs to have that experience. And then like both of them are eating so much chocolate that they ended up getting like really constipated. And so I was like, this was a good feedback loop for you. <laughs> They're probably too little to really make that connection, even though we talked about it. But mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like this is this is fine. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting. Like I feel really just like you need to get super curious with yourself. Like what is, why is this triggering for me? What is coming up here? Sure. Yeah. I feel like that's so relatable for so many listeners and parents <laughs> out there. I feel like that's the number one question I get asked. It's like, how do we manage chocolate and Easter candy and Halloween? There's just candy all the time, right? Halloween, yeah. Christmas, Easter, Valentine's day. Yeah. It's just like a constant cycle of panic for parents. Yeah. I think really like between now And Halloween is like the longest period without a kind of Mm. chocolate themed holiday. Yes. But then you get like, you know, it's summer and you want ice cream and like all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. We're never without something else. Yeah. Good. All right. So today we're going to be talking about why practicing intuitive eating is hard as a mom. So I just wanted to kind of start off with like a little review if you're a new listener or haven't checked out our previous episodes, um, check them out. (laughs) So basically intuitive eating for a lot of people, I think it's pretty new aged. It's definitely becoming a lot more popular lately can be a really powerful tool to help you, you know, heal your relationship with food, with your body. Like I said, there's lots of traction. It's growing in popularity. I think like social media is a big influence on that, but also across like the dietitian profession as well, too. I know I didn't learn about it in school. It doesn't sound like you did either. So some of these ideas of like a non-diet approach, I think is getting sprinkled in school and more doctors are on board, et cetera. Yeah. It's kind of seen as like the gold standard of creating more of a peaceful relationship with food kind of explain it as like a self-care eating framework. There's 10 principles, podcasts, number six to 15, we went into each individual principle. So you can check those out if you want some more info, but it's, it's a lot more than just the food, right? Jennifer, it's about like self-care and attunement and understanding kind of your own weight bias and unpacking fat phobia. And there's lots of layers yeah, like, well, we don't talk about food until principle 10, really, yes. <laughs> because we need, there's so much kind of unlearning that needs to be done before that. Yeah, so it's kind of, sometimes when I'm explaining it, it sounds very like mythical, but it, it is a real thing that people do get to a place of intuitive eating. Yeah, so in your experience, Jennifer, with being a mom and a caregiver of two littles, what challenges have come up for you personally and how you navigated intuitive eating in motherhood? Yeah, so many. Um, (laughs) I think like, as I was mentioning before, like I really came to intuitive eating after my daughter was born. So I was, Mm -hmm. you know, challenging my own thoughts about food and about my body and about like what's healthy to me like what does that actually mean to me um while also kind of like challenging my like parenting thoughts right and just like learning how to be a parent Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's really difficult. And so I think too, like as an extra layer, like, you know, you're kind of navigating your own thoughts and feelings around food. You're navigating your own thoughts around like, how do I feed my kids so that they have a good relationship with food? And then as a dietitian as well, you're kind of like, Ooh, like I have to unlearn a lot of bias that was baked into me as a, as a baby mm-hmm. dietitian in school. And which like now I take on students, which is lovely because I'm like, I'm going to teach you about this before you ever meet with a client. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so yeah, like I found that really challenging because I was just like navigating so much newness. And then when my son was born, so he was born in 2020, I was a lot further along in my kind of intuitive eating journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was born in February. And I think five weeks later, the world shut down for the pandemic. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like, you know, I had my two and a half year old at home, which I wasn't expecting. She was supposed to be going to daycare full time. I have a newborn and we have like, we are so lucky that we have a lot of family nearby. Both of my sister-in-laws were on maternity leave at the same time that I was, and we couldn't see each other. (laughs) And so it was like, we have all this support, but you're doing, but we don't have access to it because of the pandemic. And so you're parenting full-time with like no breaks. Right. And so I think it was really difficult, even though I was so much further along and kind of what I knew about intuitive eating, that mm-hmm. it was so difficult to like have opportunities to actually listen to myself. Like I had two tiny humans who were depending on me mm-hmm. to have food on the table and like it didn't really matter what I wanted. Yes. And then, yeah. you know, you're breastfeeding, you're hungry all the time you're stressed. There was just like a constant elevation of your baseline stress level. Cause even once the world started opening up a little bit, I felt like you had to be on watch of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, were you seeing, I have a tiny baby. They have no immune system. Like it was just, it was kind of in this hyper constant stress state, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like hyper vigilance. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Yeah. And then like, I had another layer on top of that too, where like my son had a dairy and soy intolerance. And so I had to radically change my diet in order to accommodate him. And that was really the first time in that kind of two or three year span that I had restricted myself in any way. Mm -hmm. And so that was like really interesting. I feel like that really I had a weird mentality around food where I was like, I was having like weird cravings for things that were on my like safe foods list. And I was like, oh, this is how people who like, this feels like dieting all over again. Yeah. And it really wasn't until like, and you couldn't really go and spend a lot of times in the grocery store, right? To like read labels and stuff. So it was like tons of time spent online looking at like, like the closest grocery store to us is a Loblaws. So like looking at Loblaws and like looking at different foods and looking at the ingredient list and all that kind of stuff and doing all this like online investigating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Until I kind of found things that were within the parameters that I could eat that still kind of filled some of those gaps of Mm -hmm. 
you know, like what is the best dairy alternative that I have? What's the best yogurt and all of those things that I kind of took for granted before. Yeah. And so like now I think as a parent, you know, as they get older, my main challenge is really like, it's hard to listen to your body especially at the dinner table, you know, like there are certain meals where it's a lot easier, but when you're sitting down to dinner and like, you know, one of them's like, Oh, can you get me more milk? And then you immediately sit down. The other one's like, can I have more milk? Like we couldn't have asked when I was already up. Like, (laughs) so you're constantly just like getting up and like not being able to like, okay, sit down, tune things out and kind of like internally, tune in to like, what do I need? Am I full? Am I satisfied? Mm -hmm. So I think like, I think that's pretty similar to a lot of the moms that I work with is that it's hard. Like when you have other people around you to kind of think about like, what are my needs? How do I kind of tune inwards when there's chaos? Yeah, exactly. That was one of my (laughs) points too. Mealtimes, right? It's just so much to manage. You're in again, that like hyper arousal state, it's really hard to like drop down and, you know, sit for even like a couple minutes to just like process what's happening. Right. And yeah, I don't know for you, but for me eating like colder meals or just like that satisfaction piece is not always there. Right. Cause you're just, okay. Like I've already kind of made dinner, got everyone settled. Like I'll just eat really quick. I find like myself will get in these loops of eating really quick so we can move on to bath time and like push the night along. Right. Yeah. It just seems so rushed all the time. And when you can, I have done things too, where like, you know, you make a meal that you know that the kids will like, but then you sit down to eat it and you're like, this isn't what I want. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so some friendly options. Yeah. Sometimes what I will do is I'll eat like a small meal with the kids. And then once they actually go down to bed, I'll be like, now it's my dinner time. And this is me time now. (laughs) Yes. That's a great strategy. Sure. And then even like you were mentioning, like nursing hormones, I just feel like those hunger signals are also like so random too, right? Middle of the night, just being starving or evening eating, or just maybe not hungry in the morning, right? Because your sleep is so interrupted, right? There's so many factors, like your stress or your self-care is really just so, so limited, right? That all of these shifts impact, you know, it's just kind of that domino effect of so many other systems. I find now talking to moms, I often do free workshops for a community group here talking about like nourishing yourself while you're have a new baby at home. Yeah. And I find people are on very opposite ends of the spectrum. Like I was definitely the person that like I had snacks stashed all over the house where I was breastfeeding because I was starving all the time. Yeah. And then you have people who are like not hungry at all. Mm-hmm. And so I find a lot of times people will end up like, we're like not hungry because we're stressed, right? Like we're, especially as a new parent, you're like, I have to keep this small human alive. There's so many things that are going on that we don't think about ourselves until you're like, holy crap. Like I, now I'm really, really hungry. So we go from like zero to a hundred. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like just normalizing all different types of hunger when we're breastfeeding, I find is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, as much as you're maybe like trying to eat regularly and stuff, like your hormones are just 
you know, firing at all different sources and speeds too, right? So as much as we can control what we can, there's a lot of factors you can't, right? So just trying to normalize that it's really tough as we are both attesting to, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, during that period, right, where like you put them down for a nap and you're like, now's my chance to eat. Like, even if I'm not hungry, it's like, now's my like me time. Like, it's just, yeah, it's really hard to kind of tune in to what I need. And I think so Mm -hmm. much of motherhood is sold to us as like, you're the martyr, you're self-sacrificing and like, yes, to a certain extent, but like, that doesn't mean that my needs don't matter. Exactly. But it feels sometimes maybe a little selfish to focus on ourselves, but like, yeah, absolutely. You have to. Yeah. You have to. And just (laughs) how much mother, yeah, that perspective is maybe shifting or changing is exciting. Yeah. Planning for self-care, going and doing it, you know, and then that mom guilt's happening. It's just like, this is really important. I need to shut that down and and let this happen and make space for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As, as my kids get older, I find that's getting a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for me, post pandemic, I play ultimate Frisbee. And so like, that is my me time to like, one, it's scheduled, people are counting on me. So like, I have to go, right? And it's like an hour on the field where I'm not thinking about parenting. Yes. And I find that that has been so important to really just kind of feel like myself Mm -hmm. and not just like someone's mom. Yes, all the time. Yeah, (laughs) awesome. So a big part of intuitive eating is this idea of attunement. Can you explain that a little bit more to listeners, what attunement is from your perspective? Yeah, so really just kind of exactly what it sounds like, right? Like (laughs) being in tune with your body, Mm -hmm. um, knowing what different signals mean to you and you know if my body is telling me this like what does that how do I interpret that and then responding to those needs so I think you know sometimes people get good at like oh I'm hungry and then we're like we don't act on it Mm -hmm. and so part of entombment is like not only being able to recognize what our body is telling us but then also responding to that need And I find it so interesting, like people don't recognize all of the signs of hunger or we recognize hunger in really the extreme forms of hunger. Like, oh, I'm getting really lightheaded. I feel weak. Okay. This is my time to eat. I'm like, what signs have we missed kind of before before that happens? Yes. But yeah, so that's to me is really just like being aware and then responding in a a timely fashion, maybe. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And hunger, as you know, is like one of the ones that's a little bit more co-opted by like diet culture and demonized and has all these like, you know, beliefs and ideas with it. But if I, I know that classic example of comparing it to like the signal of having to go pee, like that's so neutral for everyone. Yep. Maybe I just had to finish typing this email and I'll go pee, right? You're honoring it pretty quickly. Yeah. But for hunger, there's a lot more baggage for a lot of people to honor that or to not be, you know, scrutinizing yourself. I just ate like half an hour ago in an hour, right? There's a harder time honoring it. Yeah. I think we can kind of get into a little bit of a trap too, where if 
you know, talking about intuitive eating and the 10 principles and how food comes a little bit later, Mm -hmm. if we don't do that beginning work of like, what is diet culture? How do like, how does the diet mentality show up for me? What are the different food police voices? Like if we just kind of try to jump into, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full, it really becomes diety. Like I have a lot of clients who will be like, oh, like I won't allow my, we, it's like, I won't allow myself to eat unless I'm like a three on the hunger scale. That's like the appropriate eating. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, why, why is that the number? Like what, Uh what, you know, like we can kind of treat it similar to a diet if we don't do that work kind of beforehand. Absolutely. Yep. Good. And then any other challenges or ideas of the difficulties in motherhood of being attuned for people. Yes. We already talked about like mealtime chaos. Yes, That's really difficult. Oftentimes I will recommend that people just practice at other meals where your kids aren't present. If that Mm -hmm. is possible for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like, you know, like talking about the peeing as like, you know, okay, I have to pee. I'm going to use the bathroom. Like, we can't always do that with kids. You know, we might maybe have some more like set meal times mm-hmm. um, because it makes more sense for the kids or like what they want to eat is different than what you want to eat. And so I find that that can be a challenge kind of navigating some of that stuff when you're a mom. It's like, oh, I can't just like, I have to feed my kids in half an hour. So I can't just have my dinner now because I'm hungry now. Yeah. And like in our house, I feel like we kind of use a modified version of like intuitive eating mixed with kind of Ellen Satter's model, like her division of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do find that kind of more set meal times, like the times can be like somewhat flexible, but having kind of set meals and snacks makes more sense for my kids, but yeah. it doesn't always align with my hunger. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think too, just like that coming back to that feeling of, you know, it's not selfish to be attuned to our own needs as a mom, we have to fill up our own cup in whatever capacity we can, right? Like it's really challenging, but I think, you know, it's just hard when you have to manage the whole family and sit down and eat and get everyone to the table. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Some other kind of points I'm thinking too, is, you know, if you're someone, a mom or parent that's living, you know, in like managing, sorry, I can't talk here, having like a condition or something. I know before the call, we were talking about like ulcerative colitis or managing celiac disease, or if you're, even just caring for aging parents, or if you have like a chronically ill child, you know, financial stress, food insecurity, your own mental health challenges, which we know is so common postpartum as well, right? You kind of mentioned with the COVID, you not having your village or support system, that's going to make applying and practicing intuitive eating way harder, of course. And then if you're someone... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Even just going back to the concept of mom guilt, right? Yes. Like yeah. when we, I always find it so interesting. 
Um, we're really, we really do not like to make things easy for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> we're like, no, if I'm going to give my kids carrots, like I need to like buy the big bag and I'm going to peel them all and I'm going to chop them all. And like, like, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But like, we can make some of that meal prep stuff mm-hmm. easier for ourselves. If mm-hmm. we have kind of like mental health struggles or neurodivergence, where it's like really hard to focus on hunger until we're really hungry, like yeah. convenience foods or weight maze to make things easier for ourselves. Like mm-hmm. we can't, don't feel guilty about that stuff. Yep. Exactly. Thank you for Easy, and, yeah. easier so said important. than done. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're someone who's still in the throes of dieting or have an active eating disorder, you know, these condition situations are really getting someone to disassociate from their own bodies you know, what to eat, how to eat, where we're eating, all of those things is just so much more challenging. So that in itself needing to kind of do some work before we get to apply intuitive eating is obviously very important. Mm-hmm. And then even just like the drastic body and hormonal changes, right? We're trying to get people to, you know, feel confident in their body or respect it when, you know, you're waking up just leaking breast milk all over the place or you know you're having food aversions in pregnancy and now you got to go back to eating those foods or we're having you know hair loss or massive body changes and we're having you know a lack of clothing that will fit our body it's just constantly changing right and it's it's not like especially the hormone piece like you don't really have a lot of control over that so it's just kind of waiting and assessing and, you know, just living that newborn life for a little bit. That can be really hard to just accept when you've had a history of, you know, being estranged to your body. Yeah. I mean, like, I think too, it's so, I don't know, like, I find like when the seasons change also tend to be like very triggering for people, right? Like we had kind of almost like a little heat wave. It's cold again this week, but like last week it was super warm. You're pulling out shorts and you're kind of like, oh, like what's going to fit me? What's not going to fit me? Like, yeah, Yeah. it's just a, yeah, it's definitely a struggle when you kind of feel those kind of diety thoughts, like, okay, my shorts don't fit. What do I do now? And you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is, this is fine bodies are supposed to change Mm -hmm. but we're also kind of sold this like you know especially Mm -hmm. breast when we're breastfeeding I don't know this was never my experience but we are kind of like oh well if you breastfeed you'll lose a lot of weight not I that was not me I was starving all the time Mm -hmm. and I had to eat all the time And so like, I think kind of also managing some of those really unrealistic expectations that we have on our bodies following giving birth. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but like for my first, I was very more well-educated for my second child. (laughs) For my first, I had never once considered my needs following childbirth, like literally never. Yeah. And did not really think like I had everything prepared for her and nothing prepared for myself. Like did not consider that I would be bleeding for several weeks or I wouldn't be able to just like walk around. Yes. Yep. 
I'm glad that I'm seeing more people talking about their experience mm-hmm. now, but I'm just like, uh-huh. yeah. what? It's not talked about. <laughs> exactly. So it just kind of like hits you in waves, right? And it's 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 definitely very challenging. And then we kind of mm-hmm. touched on it a, a little bit, but if there's any postpartum mental health, right? Mood disorders, so common, you know, trying to balance that while keeping a child alive while working on your relationship with food. That's really hard. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the neurodivergency too, right? Not everyone's brains fire the same way or enjoy the same processes or learning. How neurodivergency makes it an extra layer of challenge, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, if you're going through any of those things, you're not wrong if intuitive eating right now is really difficult or challenging, I guess, is what we're trying to say. Yeah, for sure. I would say to you, like, um, we focus on consistency first, like before we we can become an intuitive eater, you need to be eating consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a piece that like, we talk about it a lot in eating disorder spaces, right? This concept of mechanical eating and eating on a kind of more of a schedule so that your hunger and fullness signals start to kick on a little bit more. We don't necessarily talk about that a lot with just like the average person Mm -hmm. coming to intuitive eating, but like if you've been dieting a long time or even pregnancy where you're kind of having a lot of food aversions and you're not necessarily kind of used to eating regularly, um, before we can even start kind of doing this like attunement piece and looking at like, am I hungry? Am I not? Like those signals might be really quiet for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so eating consistent nourishment is really kind of step number one. First step. Yeah. Yeah. So you've already kind of jumped into the next one, but what are some <laughs> kind of, no, that's okay. Gentle take home suggestions, practices to kind of help mom's cope in this season of life. I think hopefully from this podcast, we're just validating your experience, I think is the only point I want to send home that it's really hard and that's okay. If you're yeah difficulties, we, mm-hmm. we do our best. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So like fully consistency comes first consist like there is no perfection when it comes to intuitive eating. Every time we eat as an opportunity to learn something new you know, I have days where I'll eat something for breakfast and it'll last like an hour. And I'm like, oh man, that wasn't enough. Okay. Good (laughs) to know. So on a day that I have a bunch of clients in the morning, don't eat this breakfast, you know, like every opportunity we eat is an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just like be kind to yourself. I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's like, there's no perfection in intuitive eating. There's no perfection in parenting we we're all learning we do the best that we can there's no manual they're hard they can you know they like something for a week and you go out to Costco and you buy a huge amount of it and then they hate it you know it's yeah it's a challenge and you kind of (laughs) have to roll with it and do the best that you can and you have to be kind of kind to yourself oftentimes with clients I'll talk about like let's get curious being curious and not critical of ourselves. Like, Oh, that's interesting that that came up for me. Not, Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. You know, like it's, we have to be gentle with ourselves. And I think thinking about food as a form of self-care, 
is really important kind of shift that people can make. Mm-hmm. I have to nourish my body in order to be a good parent. If I'm starving and constantly thinking about food, I'm not present with my kids. Mm -hmm. If I'm kind of like stuck in the diet cycle and like we're having a family dinner and I'm like trying to count the macros on my plate or trying to figure out how much work working out I need to do after the kids go to bed, like I'm not present. Um, We don't get like, you don't get these years back. And so I think that like, we need to nourish ourselves in order to be present for our kids in order to have the energy to play with our kids. And I think just like looking at it as like, I need to do this so that I can be the best version of myself is like really helpful for people. Like Mm -hmm. it is, we have to eat. Can't just like not eat. Yeah, (laughs) of course. And when we look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, eating is the very base of the triangle. And a lot of times we don't think it's, you know, we're deserving of it or we have time for it or we can make space, but it's, you know, that is a basic level of self-care is eating and fueling your body. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, you can pick one thing, right? Like you can, we don't have to make all of these. We talk about intuitive eating. We talk about the 10 principles we start with one thing and then we kind of add to it over time. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a long process. Yeah. And even like as a dietitian, I don't know about your experience, but as a dietitian who works with people all the time, who like has their own kids, has their own relationship with foods, there's still things that like pop up for you that you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Where did that come from? Yeah. Yep. It's always evolving kind of your relationship with food. And like, this is a season you're in, it's going to be so different in like 10, 20 years, right? It's what it will be like. So is there anything else you want to leave listeners with knowing Jennifer about intuitive eating and applying it in motherhood? I I think like in motherhood, right? Like if we are recognizing that kind of generational cycle of dieting in our families we have to be confident that we can change and we're allowed to learn new things and we're allowed to bring those things that we learn to our kids. We don't have to follow the same patterns that our parents followed. And even if your kids are like, if you're listening to the podcast and your kids are older, we can still make changes. We can still incorporate them in the changes that we're learning to kind of, you know, make sure that they, that we're setting them up for success to have a good relationship with food. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. It's always a good time. Good. So closing questions. What would you say is the single most protective action someone can take to protect themselves from diet culture? So I think like, once you start seeing diet culture, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And I think really leaning into that, like start to notice where it pops up and being on the lookout and being curious, right? Like who benefits from this? Who benefits from me hating my body or starving myself? Cause it's not me. It's definitely mm-hmm. not me. Does it make 
sense that this is kind of the thought pattern that I've been taught to believe. So I think really just like the one thing that you can do to protect yourself is just be aware. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it pops up everywhere. Yeah. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. And then what about for parents, for mothers that have little people in their life? What's one thing that they can do to protect them from diet culture? Yeah, I think kind of, you know, making your house a safe haven from diet culture. Other people's houses might have different rules from yours and we can't control that, but we can control what happens in our own house. We can control how our kids feel in our house and how our kids kind of think about their bodies, right? And if they kind of bring to you like a concern, like, oh, my tummy's bigger than my friends, like, oh, interesting, like, you know, is that good? Is that bad? Like, I think that the more neutral that we can be about bodies and foods in our own house, it just kind of teaches them to be a little bit curious when they enter the world. Mm -hmm. Great. And where can listeners find, oh my goodness, where can listeners find you and learn more about the work that you do, Jennifer? Yes. You can find me on nutritioniq.ca is my website. You can find me, I'm on social media. I'm probably more active on Instagram at nutritioniq.ca, but you can also find me on Facebook at nutritioniq. So as long as you remember nutritioniq, you're probably, (laughs) you're safe to find me. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your pearls of wisdom today. And I'm so happy to share this global space with you and taking down diet culture. Thanks for having me. It was lovely to chat. I hope you enjoyed listening to Diet Culture Dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or subscribe. The more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here.